Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Jennifer Bloomberg from Next Solutions in New York. And today, we are talking to Sebastian de Dehe- Dehe- Oh, no. Dehe- oh, God. <laughs> you did Sebastian Dehistin from Beep, Bleeps and Blops. All right, say your name properly. This is, this is a dumpster fire. Go ahead. Sebastian Dehistin. Ah, oh, sounds so much better. And <laughs> so thank you for coming on, Sebastian. I appreciate it. And we wanted to talk about the, the topic of luring clients away from WordPress. So, Sebastian, if you are off in the Genting Highlands in Malaysia hunting for Rafalsian flowers and someone walked up next to you and said, oh, it's hey, don't laugh. They're actually really cool. It's the largest flower in the world. They weigh 22 pounds. Okay, So you're hunting for these bad boys and someone walks up next to you and says, you know, I've been thinking about luring clients away from WordPress. How do you think we should do it? Um, I would say that, um, well, I guess I would ask them a bit, a few questions about why, like how they learn, you know, web development and maybe why they want to step away from. No, man, we're hiking, we're hiking (laughs) through the jungle. It's stressful. You got to give them, you got to give them like the the quick, quick answer. Like what are, what are, how do we do this? I I would say that they should tell their clients that they're going to enjoy working with their websites again, enjoy, you know, opening the CMS and adding content. And I would also say that as a developer, you will also enjoy, you know, coding more and. And, you know, for a number of reasons, you owe it to your clients and you also owe it to yourself. So, yeah, you're, you aptly point out that there are two forks of this, right? So one is the developer experience and the other is the, the user experience. And I feel like we have to sell the first one or the second one first, right? Because we don't get the nice developer experience unless we're actually able to convince people to switch over to this weird thing called craft that they've never heard of. Whereas, you know, all of their friends use WordPress. I mean, what any of you folks have... Have strategies for for tackling that. I, w- I would say um, for me, the backend experience is the is the main selling point because mm-hmm. often clients who have used WordPress are super frustrated. And you know, if you mention the word WordPress, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we have used it. Okay, you know, I guess you know if we have to, it's fine. And especially since one of the recent upgrades where the editor changed, you oh, know, right. it broke it broke a few things. And uh, depending how many websites they've used, some of them may have uh, like a builder, you know, like uh, some kind of compose, you know, virtual composer, whatever it's called. And those are super super annoying to use. And so I think if you just show them the interface of the craft admin on like a couple of your sites that's that's the main thing and just you know tell them you know go on add add, add some content and I, I think that goes a long way jennifer what do you what do you do to like lure people in to, to say hey check this out you know i know i know wordpress is like the thing that you know and i know there's some comfort in that but take a look at this and what, what do you what do you do to make that happen yeah usually the the first thing i talk about is the money because that really money. yeah that sells it to them much quicker than than other things which I, I think we should we should probably get into later since now we're talking about author experience but the crux of the money thing is you know this will save you tons of money depending on how much customization they need and that usually does the trick but going back to the the author experience i 
I do have, I, I have a few clients who've been used to Visual Composer and those other page builders, and they all find them annoying. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but craft, I mean, craft doesn't have that out of the box. If you want right. to create a flexible content builder, I mean, it'll be pretty easy to do with like even just a simple matrix. You can go and build that, but it's not plug and play in, in the way that WordPress kind of is. So it, it's something that if you have an example of a simple website, even just using Craft's Happy Logger sort of boilerplate slash demo, um, you can show them a live preview of, you know, moving content blocks around, then that will probably do the trick as well. Hmm. You know, what? I, I've got one that I use, but I'm going to give Patrick a chance just to see if that's, uh, you know, I, I want to give him the first shot at it. So Patrick, what, what do you use to, cause let, let's be honest, like there are a decent number of clients that they will rely on us for our technical expertise and they'll, they'll just, you know, take whatever we say you should be using. But there are other clients that you, we have to spend some time kind of massaging them and convincing them to use this uh, thing called craft or, or whatever else, you know, if we're using Gatsby or some other doesn't matter what it is, some platform that is not what they're familiar with. How do you approach that? Yeah, uh, I mean, Pat? my biggest thing first is to really don't go in there trying to sell them on a specific technology because you understand before they've gotten to that understanding that craft is the way they should be going. You know, I find trying to find out what's their pain, what what are they dealing with, really getting into that. And, you know, no one wants to go into a car dealership that maybe has like Toyotas and Lexus, you know, like I really want a Camry. And the next thing you know, the car salesman is showing you nothing but Lexuses. Yeah. And you're like, no, like I, I came in asking for a Camry. Why are you showing me a Lexus? Like, are you just, you know, do you, is this all you can do? Can you not actually sell me the Camry? Like they just, I feel like people smell that and you feel they, like you're not being listened to. Yeah. Or, or yeah, just that, okay, this person puts everyone on this system. They're not trying mm. to understand why I like WordPress or maybe why I do have some pain with WordPress, but I'm hoping you can fix it and maybe it's not fixable and we can then educate you on why craft is the better option. Uh, you yeah. know, I think you always, I, I'd be very careful going into, you know, if anyone, let's say they're on WordPress today, you know, if they're looking to get away from it, then that helps that a whole lot. And you can very quickly start talking about how the content is set up, plugins and vulnerabilities there, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I, I think the biggest part is getting really deep into an understanding of what are their difficulties? What are they trying to achieve? They may be perfectly fine with WordPress, in which case that's not a terrible thing. You can advance custom fields and all that, Try, you know, maybe keep them on WordPress. You may lose that client or not win the sale if you really try to fight them on WordPress. And you, I think you need to know when that's the case. But I think, yeah, getting to the root cause of why they're doing this website upgrade or website re overhaul or whatever it might be is key to any sales process. I think you, you kind of nailed something there, which is that don't go into it immediately trying to convince them to use X, right? Yeah. It's almost like, a, it's almost as denigrating as just generic, like pick up lines at a bar. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's like an eye rolls, like, oh, really? How long did you spend, you know, thinking of that one, right? Yeah. What, what really, if you really want to make some kind of a, a connection with your client is you, you have to sit down and you have to listen to what they're trying to accomplish, what their business goals are. And then what you can do is you can tailor what you're going to show them around what they're telling you that they have problems with with or issues with or are trying to accomplish, you know, and then then you end up with something that they really do feel like they're you're, they're being listened to because you are showing something that addresses their needs and concerns. What do you think, Sebastian? Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I think the yeah, there's also something interesting is that the more features they need, the more uh, of a case you're going to be able to make. So, for example, if they want a multilingual website or if they want to manage, you know, two websites from one admin, then I think the 
craft demo becomes extremely convincing. And potentially also it's the same with, uh, you know, the commerce plugin versus WooCommerce, although there is the license fee, which is a bit higher. So like that's that's a bit more of a, maybe a harder sell. But from, I don't know, from experience from my clients, you know, it's a lot of portfolio websites. So it's just, you know, box standard content, adding images and things like that. And I think, I think for that, it's, I know I like, yeah, you do have to tailor it a little bit, but it's almost always the same sort of sell I find. But yeah, for, for, I guess for an e-commerce, it would be a very different conversation, but for portfolio sites, I feel like you can kind of, you know, reuse the same demo. So I'm I'm just going to go for it since none of you, none of you bit into it. I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take it. So one of the things that I show people or clients that they just absolutely love is live preview. Mm, Yeah. You get in there and you say, oh, you know, and you you show them you're editing the stuff and they're like, oh, that looks nice. And oh, oh, you can do this. And then you hit the live preview, right? And they're like, whoa, (laughs) that's really cool. You know, I can see exactly what is. And it's that they get that kind of nice reassurance, right? Because they're not the ones that are designing the HTML and the CSS and all that kind of stuff. So they have no concept of what this is going to look like when it's actually on the page. And I think there's just something so reassuring about the the live preview feature as a way, you know, whether it's coming from WordPress or, or, or whatever, just as a way to, to get them in, involved. Have you run into that, Jen? Yeah, definitely. I think clients love the look of live preview. And I think you're right that they feel reassured, um, especially coming from those page builders where they can sort of see what the page is supposed to look like. And then right. and then they, they sort of publish it and say, oh, no, this button isn't lined up. And how do I line up the button? And you know, maybe they'll need to call the, de- the developer team, i.e. us, and we'll say, oh, man, well, we'd love to line up that button, but WordPress has injected in, you know, 20 million lines of JavaScript, <laughs> so we can't really line it up that easily, you know, and, and it becomes a whole production. Whereas craft, I mean, obviously you need to have good HTML and that's not, you know, always guaranteed, but if you're responsible for it, you, you, you know that it, it's your HTML and things will align if you make it. And there isn't a sort of behemoth of a framework that's going to to mess it up, which I think WordPress sometimes does. Mm. And, and it's funny, I've had a remarkable amount of success, just like showing live preview can show people how great the content experience is. When we, when we think about content, showing people what is actually happening under the hood with a tool like Visual Composer or WP Bakery or whatever that monstrosity is called, showing them the tag soup that gets, oh, like the, the, I've literally said, do you, you see how this content is in structure? And they're like, yeah, it's great. You know, we can just drag and drop. I'm like, look what it looks like under the hood. And they're like, oh, yeah. You know, any upgrade you want to do is going to be really difficult because everything is just souped together and tied into how it looks. You're not just thinking about your content. Yeah, this is going to make even a small, redesign on your theme on WordPress really difficult and we can keep going this way but you're going to have to keep on fighting against this blob of goo while you know again if they want to stay in in WordPress ACF at least cleans things up a little bit it, it adds some structure but you know craft just does things in a so much better way with the way it breaks things out into these things called fields and uh, yeah, it, yeah it's yeah I, I love that you're calling it a glob of goo because <laughs> one of the and I get heat for this but I don't care I'm going to do it anyway here we go one of the one of the things that I've said for a long time is that WordPress is kind of the chicken McNugget of the the CMS industry <laughs> in that it's like this indefinable chicken paste that's kind of like just stamped together and then deep fried. 
You know what I mean? And that anyone can then cook it, but it doesn't mean that it's going to all be all that healthy for you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. And I mean, with Gutenberg, we, I think we talked about this in a prior podcast, but they're actually using HTML comments to build out the structure of these Gutenberg blocks. It, it's actual... I didn't believe you. I didn't <laughs> believe yeah, you. You told me that. <laughs> you told me that to, and I yeah. didn't believe you. I'm like, there's no way it could be that bad. And then I looked at it. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, at, at what, 26, 27 year old, whatever technology that it was never meant to be used for any sort of semantic structuring and site building is now just being jacked onto. Yeah, I, I feel like that's going to come back and bite them in someday, but we'll see. Yeah. I think it's already biting them. I mean, they have lost a lot of happy customers by mm. sort of publishing something live that, you know, perhaps, you know, they, they do have quite extensive argumentation on behalf of why they did it. But a lot of people were saying, well, you know, don't, inf- don't force people to use it, make it, make it a plugin. Cause there have definitely been clients that have been upset with it. I mean, one for accessibility reasons and two, it's, it's making their publishing experience less, se- less seamless when we should be yep. striving for the, op- for the opposite. So, you know, in framing everything as Sa- Sebastian mentioned in terms of what's in it for the client and their experience, I mean, you can point to WordPress in that case going backwards and craft probably i think going going forwards yeah it actually it's funny if you look at the uh the plugins you know the plugin like store in wordpress and you look for the classic editor and it's got like millions of installs and it sort of tells you you know the first thing people do is just revert to the old editor also i think something interesting is you know things like squarespace and wix and this kind of sites they've massively improved in the last few years yeah. and it actually makes more sense now if a, a client wants you know this kind of interface and maybe doesn't have a huge budget to redirect them to one of those and say, look, actually, this, you know, this is fairly decent now and it might, you know, fill your needs and, you know, more more than WordPress. Yeah, it's not there. Yeah, they're definitely losing the edge a little bit. So that's an interesting point that I would like to hear people weigh in on here is that with Gutenberg, which is relatively new. So one of the things about WordPress is that people know it and they're comfortable with it. Adding Gutenberg to the mix, now that comfort level at least to some extent, is gone. Do we have an opportunity here where people are then saying, oh, okay, well, if I'm going to have to learn something new, I'm more open to looking around at other potential possibilities. Has anyone noticed that? Not massively because you can just revert to the old editor. So some, <laughs> true. You, know, so true. You, you can't really hide, you, know, you can't really hide that from them. Yeah, I, suppose. It, I mean, um, it's hard to say. I, I mean, I think it's still new and people don't update their sites all the time or do a website overhaul all the time. But I, I have felt like, in the last three to four years that WordPress has lost some of its shine. Selling craft six years ago when it was brand new is very different from today. I think people are much more open to hearing about other things. And I think something like Gutenberg only makes that conversation easier. I mean, Andrew, you've said it before that when things are in a time of transition, that that can be very lucrative. That can be a big opportunity. Uh, And I think we're going to see it. WordPress has made a a push towards Gutenberg and just baking everything into an HTML blob. Meanwhile, craft is making a move towards GraphQL and, and getting into we can still do all the templating everything for you we can also do cutting edge graphql delivery of your content and you can go headless and and i've had clients just in the last six months ask about doing headless e-commerce and that's starting to get out there just because of the speed benefits and the you know the cdn abilities that come with it i think that helps sell people too to really see the direction that the systems are taking and who is kind of up on where where you know skate to where the puck is going now to that point though wordpress has a graphql 
plugin that you can use, right? I haven't used it, but I know it exists and it's something that you can use and you can plug into and there's a Gatsby starter for using WordPress. Is it possible that some of this Jamstacky type of stuff and thing, tools like Gatsby are going to pave over some of the stuff that developers hate about WordPress? And, and now as a developer, we can just be like, okay, I think WordPress is, is atrocious, but it's fine. Now I just have an API and I don't have to worry about it. But I think even the WordPress API is you know lacking in many places. Mm. I have one I have one client they're they're very very technically proficient. They're actually a big tech company and uh, the first thing that they said they actually have a couple of WordPress sites and they said we need to disable the rest API because it's a security hazard and it actually happened that uh, one of the sites was hacked through the REST mm. API. Yeah. So it, it kind of seems like putting a bunch of band-aids on something that's sort of fundamentally flawed when you should, <laughs> if, you, if you're really going to go headless with WordPress, like, why would you? Why would you not go headless? I mean, presumably only experienced developers would even start doing something like that. So if you're going to do that, right. then then do it with with anything else. Uh, rather than WordPress. And even then, there is the, the WordPress GraphQL plugin, but then on top of that, you need an additional plugin to then open up Gutenberg or you know use a flag in Gatsby to recognize ACF fields. At the end of the day, there's still a foundation there that is very, very simple, which is we have a post and here's the post body and here's some post meta. It's, it's so flat that I think building larger and more complicated websites and content models, which is what the web is requiring these days, it is really becoming a, a pretty, top-heavy thing for them. Yeah, until they someday have some major WordPress breaking change that starts to take things out of that old system, I think they're always going to have a tough time adjusting and um, not having to resort to these big, heavy plugins yeah, because otherwise they'd have to, to do some pretty large breaking changes that would disrupt things quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think WordPress sites are kind of like crazy relatives. Like, we all have one somewhere, right? <laughs> so it's a, <laughs> one. It, oh, one or two or, agree, you, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm embarrassed about, but you know, we, <laughs> yeah, you know, oh yeah, this is mine, by the way, and and Why so I'm not on it, anymore. Yeah. So for full disclosure, like I've made fun of another host here, Jonathan, because until recently, his his uh, corporate site was done in WordPress, even though he does nothing but high end craft sites. So I thought it was hilarious. But in full disclosure, I have a WordPress site that I continue to use and maintain. That is my that is my private shame that I am sharing with all of you. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's it's interesting. Interesting, right? So, okay, great. We can get this GraphQL plugin that we can use. But then I think one of the biggest virtues and one of the things that is a reason why a lot of people use WordPress is not just momentum, not just that everyone I know uses it. You know, it's a standard type of thing. It's also that a relatively inexperienced person can actually build a site, right? You can fire up WordPress, you can install a theme, you can install some plugins. And I'm not saying it's going to be good, but you can, as a not really that technical person, you can get a site up and running. But if we do start doing stuff where we run WordPress headless and we then are, you know, using something like Gatsby to actually build what's deployed, you're removing that power, right? It's no longer something that just a person can slap together. You need a developer involved. And I think that may be an opportunity too. You know, it's great that all this data is in WordPress and you can get it out via GraphQL. But if I'm going to need to hire a developer anyway, like maybe I can look around, you know? 
Yeah, if they're at that point where they're going to have to hire a developer, maybe for the initial site build as well as ongoing, I personally would, yeah, try to educate them on the long-term security risks of WordPress, all of those things that come with it. If they are not the type that needs a developer, then to me, even then, WordPress, given the security issues with it, you know, something yeah. like Squarespace or Webflow or any of these other, right. uh, you know, kind of ready-to-go systems, you could have a small consulting engagement where you educate them on how to build something in it, get it up and running for them, and actually make that pretty lucrative over you know just a handful of days and they come off and they feel great about it they control their own destiny with that stuff and they're probably going to recommend you for other ones where rather than going through even a craft build on what you know what might not really need the power of craft it may not always be the right fit for that client yeah and i love the fact patrick that i've gotten you from rolling your eyes whenever i mention webflow to actually now you're the one pimping it okay it's it's nice yeah i I wish it yeah i wish the editing worked on my ipad pro but (laughs) but i I want to get back to uh, sebastian on this so one of the things that i don't know if this is an issue in in discussing stuff with your clients, but is the cost mm. of craft CMS in terms of like the licensing fee? Because let, let, let's be realistic about it. Like we in the business know that there's a difference between price and cost. Right? right. So something could be free, but still have a very high cost associated with it. But have you had anyone balk it? Because WordPress, like I, I've heard people say, well, well I'm going to buy, I'm not going to bother with that craft thing. I don't want to pay $199 for it. I can just download WordPress. Have you run into that at all? Um, yeah, I've, I, I think it's more the way I, when I started introducing craft to existing clients or new clients, I, at the beginning, I was like, oh, and by the way, it has a license cost, but it's much better, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't really, yeah, it was, it was just sort of darkening the conversation a little bit. So now what I do to kind of avoid that is to, absorb the cost in my costing and you know and then i will sort of mention the license as included so in my you know say itemized quote it will say craft license included and then hopefully if i you know take care of the hosting and the maintenance as well then i add another line in there that says you know renewal uh, sort of yeah license renewals for craft and plugins included and so they don't really even have to know about it if they don't want to right. it only gets maybe a bit tricky if you're not the one who's doing the hosting and maintenance because then mm. if they have an internal team and so you, you you have to go into this conversation saying okay so look there's there is you know the initial cost is included but then you're going to have to pay 59 dollars per year but then I don't know. By that point, if they have an internal IT team and if they host themselves, then $59 per year and, you know, a couple of plugins isn't going to scare them, I don't think. Yeah. So, and, and you can yeah. couch it as total cost of ownership as opposed to, you know, just what what really matters. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that some people, it's a psychology thing, though, that some people will balk at mm-hmm. a $199 price tag on a, a project that you've quoted out for $25,000, <laughs> you know, you're just like, what? Like. How do you yeah, handle that? Just, yeah, I mean, it's the line item. I've, you know, bought a yeah. 30 whatever thousand dollar car, but then spent time haggling over the $500 dock fee on the, I don't know why I keep mm. going to car dealerships today, but yeah, I mean, to me, it, when I was starting out, I was especially always just absorbing the price of it because I just didn't want that to be something that threw off right. several thousand or, you know, into the $10,000 projects. I didn't want us to have a hang up on $299. Like, yeah, I, I'm interested as I say this, the only thing that is always, a little bit of a pain is the idea that, oh, well, now it's, especially now that it's a license that 
should be renewed every year. How do you get that out of your name and not have to do the whole dance of, you know, transferring the license to a new craft ID? Be interested in, would love to know if you can pay for something, but put it under a client's email address so that ongoing, it's up to them, but they already have a login. I feel like that should be easy enough to do, but I've never done it. To me, I think unless you're like subcontracting or something, if it's a good enough project size, I, I often will eat the price of it if I feel that that's something that might be a sticking point. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I bring this up also is that in the beginning, Jennifer, you mentioned that price Mm -hmm. is your number one lead in. So why and how? Like, what do you, what do you mean? WordPress is is free. How is price your lead in here? I don't understand. That's a great question. So craft CMS is not free, right? It's $2.99, $2.99, I guess, for the first license and then $59 a year after that. But as you mentioned, Andrew, you said, you know, there's a difference between price and cost, and we need to think about the true cost. So $2.99, I calculate that as two to three hours of developers' time. And right. and how much time does a developer spend hacking at WordPress to get it to do what you want? I mean, even on the out, even installing WordPress, I spend several hours re- removing things that I don't want from it. And you know, putting things that I do want. I mean, I, I mean, I rarely do this anymore because I don't do WordPress unless I absolutely have to. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use something like Bedrock, which is a boilerplate that, you know, incorporates sort of modern web development practices like, you know, logical folder structure and, uh, you know, incorporation of things like Composer and things like that. And then I'll put in Timber to use Twig templates. And right. by the time I get WordPress looking, you know, somewhat of a, <laughs> somewhat reasonable, I've, I've spent a that's day the- and that's, <laughs> that's the license fee right there. Not even getting into how long it takes to do customizations. So all like I and I've done this on multiple occasions. I'll I'll take their specs that we put together and I'll model out. Well, if we do this with on craft CMS as well as on top of Yee, if we need something more custom, it'll take you know a month. And if we have to do this on WordPress, I mean it'll take three months, and that that sells them on it right there. You got building a house with some really great tools, or you're building a house by bashing rocks together. Like it's <laughs> the difference is so obvious. Well, it's never been an well, issue. Well, and, and also building something with WordPress is kind of like getting a huge slab of granite. Like you get, here's here's everything. And then you have to take an air hammer to it just to jackhammer away and get rid of all the crap that you don't want, right? Whereas with craft, it's like you have some clay and you just kind of sculpted it into exactly what you need it to be. And they kind of get that analogy immediately. But I, I want to get back to what you're talking about in, in terms of cost, Jen. So what you're saying is that you just show them that the amount of work it's going to take to hammer WordPress into something usable for them is significantly less than the amount of work that it's going to take to use a tool like Craft to build up a bespoke example of what they actually want. Building up instead of whittling down, essentially, right? Yeah, and that that's right. And that's why it's sort of almost irre- irrelevant to talk about the license cost because, and, and I think Sebastian mentioned this too, that we want projects that are sort of big ticket projects. I don't think we're talking about a $500 project, in which case the license fee will be a huge issue, but Well, just yeah. don't use Craft. If right, it's a $500 right. project, you, you're irresponsible if you're using something like craft. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, and, and if that's the case, it's probably, you know, a, a Squarespace or Webflow or Wix type of thing anyway. I Absolutely. can't think of any, I, I, I can't think of any situation which in which you should use WordPress. And I feel like I'm really bashing WordPress. <laughs> 
No, and, 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 and I also have WordPress sites and I, I have spent many years working on it happily. It's just, you know, sort of in the last few years when it's, I've sort of, you know, lo- it's lost its shine as Patrick mentioned. But but I think the cost thing, the, the license cost for craft has never been an issue for any of our clients. I, I, I can say that. And it's, we usually will just absorb it and it pays for itself in an, in an hour or two of work. Yeah, I think the the mentality of anything but WordPress is, I'm like, I don't know, we're, we're kindred spirits on, on that regard. How about, how about your t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything but WordPress. Who, who can do a good logo? Sebastian, can you do a good logo? <laughs> Not really, but uh, we can, yeah. <laughs> we can f- find someone for $5, sadly. I've come across an interesting use case, actually. So it was a potential client, but it was like a friend of a friend. So, you know, there wasn't a massive sort of, he was, he was pretty open with me and he had an online magazine that was running on Expression Engine with lots of content and it sort of didn't have that much money, came to me for a quote and I, I said, and he sort of, you know, wanted to move away from Expression Engine to go to WordPress. And I said, look, you know, this kind of site, lots of content, you know, you really want to get onto craft. And I tried to make the case for it and, you know, quoted something. And in the end, he went with uh, an agency that was based in uh, Eastern Europe. So, you know, which was obviously cheaper uh, and they only knew WordPress. So he was like, sure. look, my budget is this. I'm not going to find anyone, you know, I'm not, I know you, but you, you, you're not doing it. I'm not going to find anyone here in, in, in England. England who will do it for that price and so I have to go somewhere else and those guys only know WordPress so I'm stuck with WordPress and so they move they move this whole site to WordPress and you know it was a bit heartbreaking to see but you know you uh, yeah I, I thought that was an interesting sort of I could see where it was coming from and I couldn't really convince him not to because you know he, he had to move away and that's that's only the money he had and so that was it really sure uh, and and for this and how did how did it go do we have any idea how it went did WordPress actually end up doing a, a decent job with it uh, I think WordPress was okay with it but the developers weren't that amazing so now, now there's a few issues on the side that he's, uh, you know, sort of asking me to fix. Wait a minute. So. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Sebastian, are you telling me that you get what you pay for? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was getting getting at. That's the moral of the story. Um, and, the, and there is, man. There there really is. Like there's, there's price and there's cost. Yeah. You buy something super cheap, but you got to replace it every year. That costs you a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Not to mention ending up in a landfill. Oh, my God. I just got a, a, a mental image of this virtual landfill of all the WordPress sites <laughs> that have been hacked. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. So, Jennifer, you mentioned that try to avoid using WordPress if you possibly can. Yes. Do you actually turn down projects? Yes. If that if it ends up being that. Yeah. If, if, okay. if anyone insists on using WordPress, I would say, well, this is probably not a good fit and I'll refer them. I mean, I have people that I refer them to who will happily take it on. And so... I think mm-hmm. happiness is important. Like I, I, I don't want my team. I want my team to be happy. I, I want to be happy. So it's just not right. worth it. I mean, the the cost is also, you know, spiritual cost and happiness cost. Oh so, my god, yes. So, so absolutely <laughs> not. Um, but it hasn't been an issue. I, I found few people have actually insisted on WordPress. I mean, one client. The only reason he was still leaning towards WordPress rather than Craft is he was concerned about the longevity of Craft, since it was a it was sure. a new. It's a new product. It's still relatively new. Yeah. And he's also aware of the fact that you know web frameworks kind of pop up and sometimes disappear, and he just wanted his company's website to last for years and. We ended up having a call with Kraft's marketing team. And I think it was Leah 
she shared the growth and the roadmap for the next five years for craft, as well as she also had a chart up her sleeve with the, the growth crafts, growth numbers versus WordPress's drop-off numbers. And um, mm. <laughs> yeah, go Leah. Yeah, it was great. Nice. Uh, and it also helped um, a little bit that the negative press around Gutenberg was happening around that time. And, and he said, you know, I'll trust her. I'll trust you not to lead us astray. Like let's move to craft. And, and that, I th- that I think was the last time it was even an issue to, to move off to move off WordPress. Yeah, okay, that, that makes sense to me. On that point, I feel like there's a, a slightly perverse effect of the license cost, which maybe makes people think that it's gonna be less durable than WordPress where it's free. Because they kind of think, mm. oh, it's free. It's never going to disappear. You know, it's everyone uses it as free, but they think, oh, 200, you know, $300. Like, what, what is this? So there's a, there's a company behind it. What if they close shop? And, and I feel like they wouldn't, you know, weirdly enough, even though you can say, well, look, this, there's a business model there. And, uh, right. you know, hopefully that's why it's going to. But okay. But, so yeah, it's Sebastian, a that's a great point. Yeah. So pursuant to that, we recently saw another CMS called Expression Engine right? yeah. that recently went open source and they they were also bizarrely purchased by an ai <laughs> content marketing whatever so we're not even going to get into that but they just recently went open source everyone here if craft cms went completely open source 100% free to just download and use it would that make your pitch easier do you think mm. i think it Patrick would Bell? yeah I, I mean to me i i've talked about this before on the podcast i, I find today the license the, the cost is low enough that it's annoying for a lot of clients i i've had clients that actually look at the pricing in suspicion they they love it they'd almost be more likely to go for craft if it costs several thousand dollars than if it costs yeah if it was like or whatever yeah no i mean Sitecore is a hundred grand oftentimes but even you know like a kentico or something that's you know in that five to ten thousand dollar range there are clients out there when you get to the larger ones that they're like wait a second why is this only 299 dollars because that's to get back to the all right so if this is you know a filet mignon why are you pricing it like you know to go back to mcdonald's like chicken nuggets mm. um and i i Honestly, yeah, if it was free and we were able to point to a monetization policy or um, system around plugins, the partner network, uh, enterprise support, I think that would make a lot of conversations easier because open source is understood to be a thing. I think Expression Engine, I don't know what the, the plan was there in terms of overall monetization. Let's not try to read any plan. And <laughs> I guess AI scanning of something. I don't know. I don't get it. But um, Hail yeah, Mary I, pass. I, I think there's a lot of supporting revenue there for Pixel and Tonic that if someday they pull that trigger and go open source that yeah, the, the plugin revenue can really jump off from there, and maybe the share, you know, the share of plugin revenue changes because there's such more volume um, support. Man, I mean, if they if yeah. they went this route, they would be making their money from support. They would have an enterprise class, and they recently introduced some new mm. support options for people, right? But that is how they would make their money. It's how Automatic did it. That's how uh, Acquia or whatever it was. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. how they make their money from this stuff. Well, I'd it's, say, is I mean, Acquia is, it's and just services. bundles of money for hosting. Yeah, yeah it's services, yeah. yeah. And services, yeah, right. But, and you just gave me nightmares that someone from McDonald's corporate is listening and they're going to come out with a McNeon, you know? <laughs> McDonald's I have to. Oh, oh. Oh. Good grief. How about you, Sebastian? If it, if Craft CMS went totally open source software, how would that change the discussion for you? And would it be a positive change for you? I don't think it would change that much for me. I don't know. If anything, it, it'd make me more suspicious and like more confident of the direction of where it was going. And I know you can have support on open source projects, but you know, paying for a license, I, I had this issue, so some kind of issue with Craft Commerce once and I emailed the support team and I was just sort of getting to know 
craft and I was like, I'm going to shoot them an email, but they probably won't reply. And then they, you know, they did within the day and I could solve my issue. And I was like, oh, right. I love paying for stuff, you know, <laughs> suddenly, right. you know, you, you, you sort of realize what you're getting for kind of thing. So yeah, I, I don't know it because remember, there's also the, uh, I know it's not open source, but there's the solo option. So say I have like a, which is free So say I have a designer friend who just wants to do his portfolio and it's going to be like two pages. Right. And I'm like, uh, you know, I mean, maybe the people from Pixel and Tonic will correct me, but I sort of tell them, look, I think this is this is fair use under the solo license and it helps you set it up and then off you go. So right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think you just mentioned something interesting, which is that from, from my perspective, one of the reasons why I decided early on to devote a whole lot of my time to learning and getting good at this uh, particular CMS is my confidence in the team. Like that is that is really what did it. Like my interactions with Brandon and Brad and some of the other people on the team, that is why I said, you know what? I, I think that I feel comfortable spending my time learning this thing. But let me let me get uh, Jen in here. If if Craft CMS was completely open source and that that, that business model was not even in a uh, concern anymore, how would that change the conversation for you? And would that be a, a positive change for you? I, I'm not sure that it would change the conversation with clients because I think 300 is sort of you know a, a rounding error on the on the. The general proposal. But for me, I think like Sebastian, I would be a little bit disappointed because I I feel like I, I like supporting a company that's doing an awesome product. I like the support that I get from them on a couple of occasions when things have gone wrong, maybe during an update, there's been a bug. The support has been incredible. They they come back within a few hours even and provide support. If the same thing happens on an open source project, it's sort of hit or miss on whether you'll get support and you end up having to sink a lot of time into solving it yourself. Right. So I, I like that aspect of the, the paid product. And likewise, I think the team is awesome. I, I've learned a ton just from reading through craft code and I want to support that. I feel like it's made me a better developer. So one of the, so as you folks hopefully know, I, I make a bunch of plugins for craft, right? And the interesting thing about this is both for Pixel and Tonic and for me, like we're not really in the business of making products, at least in my opinion, we're in the support business. You know, I mean, I, you and you, both you, Sebastian and Jen kind of voiced this in that, you know, one of the things that you found really comforting was that you got responses immediately and you got fixes immediately and all that kind of stuff. And I think the the fact that there is someone there to answer you and support you and help help you fix your problem and help you get your work going, I think is a huge reason why people get behind one particular tool or another. So I think we are kind of paying for the support. So what if instead of thinking about it as just a free open source project, if what ended up happening was you're still paying money to them, right? So you still, we, we definitely want the company that is creating this thing to be healthy, right? Instead of buying each individual license, you're paying a fee in order to receive support from them, right? So you still are going to be getting all of that stuff. Um, at least from my perspective, that removes a a concern mm -hmm. that some potential clients have that I speak to. They want they do want that hit by a bus kind of thing, so that it's open source, nobody owns it. You know, yes, there are maintainers, but if someone's hit by a bus, like there are things that can be done, and this thing can live then live on for the rest of its life, whatever that ends up being. And I, I think that that is a a big concern for some organizations. For others, it, it just doesn't really matter. But then also there is a little bit of a resistance whenever there's like a fee involved in something. It's almost like a paywall on a new site. You know what I mean? Where you go there and it, it pops up and it says, oh, do you want to subscribe? And you get, you just like, no, thanks. I'll just hit the back button. There are 10 other sources that will give me the same info. You know, I don't care. And I think it's kind of the same here 
in that regard, at least in my opinion. And then it removes, and this is a very minor part of it, but it removes an annoying and an awkward conversation that you then have to have with the developers. Kind of like what Patrick was saying in that, yeah, you know, okay, here's the fee. And then I got to sign up their credit card to make sure this happens and that happens. And it's not a big deal, but it's just an annoyance. So I don't know. I mean, uh, Sebastian and Jen, I, I get your points on this. I just sort of think about it from the point of view of we're changing that the money goes toward buying the quote unquote product to where the money goes to buying the support, which is really what we wanted anyway. What do you guys think about that? So are you thinking of like, so it would be sort of a per developer fee sort of thing. No matter how many sites you build, you pay X amount of X amount per month to get support on any of the sites. Is that the kind of thing you're thinking? Or? There are lots of different models yeah, that could yeah. be used. It could be that. It could be, and there could be, you know, for enterprise fees, there could be a massive fee that if you want mm. a response in 30 minutes, here's the, here's the plan for you. And the wonderful thing about that is then the, the enterprises that really need and want that support, in a sense, they kind of subsidize everybody else that doesn't need all of that. You know, mm-hmm. but another model could also be, you know, per per site. You know, if a question comes in, you you need to have a, a valid support contract, you know, or, or maintenance contract or whatever, like kind of kind of like what we do with our clients when we have a maintenance retainer or something like that. You well, know? That's kind of in a sense, it's a bit of semantics, because if, if mm-hmm. we're paying mm-hmm. for rather than paying for a license, we're paying for support. Yeah. When I think about how to pass that cost on to clients, I think I would still just absorb it because I'm providing them support. And part of that is right. while well, I'm paying for craft to, you know, debug their core code. So, so from my perspective, I don't think it would matter that much to me. But I think the pricing right now seems pretty fair, at least at least to me. I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, if people with many, many dozens of craft sites are, are happy with it. I'm, I'm not sure. But it hasn't, you know, $300 per site plus $60 per year to me seems totally reasonable if if it's paying for support i would i would pay that there is there is some limit though i don't know what that limit is to how much i would want to pay but i think there's a lot of pricing models that we could throw out there and you know we could we could figure that out but from the I guess from the client's perspective, I, I'm not sure if either of those would make a difference, but I don't have much experience with that, so I, I'm not sure. It's interesting you use the word limit because to me, I always, I was an economics major and I think about incentives. Right now, you pay $299 and there is no disincentive to sending in poor Brad, you know, 10 support tickets a week. <laughs> and he looks bad if he doesn't respond to you. And you know, very quickly, right. you think, you know, $299 divided by support ticket, and it then turns into how much money they're making per hour of Brad's time, or, you know, it's not Brad, he's, you know, we've long past the days of it being all on Brad's back. Yeah. You know, and, and at the same time, there's a, it, it's, there's an incentive for people to use a lot of support. And there's, yeah, I, and I think they're, they go above and beyond because I've, I've seen it all the time, but there's almost a disincentive for Pixel and Tonic to want to do support at the current pricing model because, yeah, once they've made that sale, th- their margins are better if they never have to support it. And I, I, they, they do that right now by making a great product, but th- there's a disincentive to, they want to cut down the support. You'd have those two things reversed if it was some sort of paid support and it might be on an ad hoc basis, it may be a subscription basis where, you know, people would say, okay, I have this allotment of support hours I can use or, you know, whether it's per site or across a number of sites. And they would then feel great about support tickets coming in because that means that they're selling support. I think when the incentives align, that that's going to be a good thing. We talked about Expression Engine. There are so many plugin developers and 
I think, Andrew, you're not there, but you know, you've seen it from your time at Expression Engine where people had a good plug-in business and then got crushed under support because they made a, a one-time you know, $49 sale or if they were a really high-end mm. plug-in, you know, $199 sale, but that then entitled people to support for the rest of their life. You know, and um, yeah, I mean, I think long-term, yeah, you don't see, it, again, going back to buying a car, you, you don't buy it and get free service for the life of the car unless you have an obscenely expensive car. But even then, I don't think any of them have free service for the life of the car. You know, at, at some point, I think that'll have to change one way or another. I mean, they're you know, leaning more on community support or, or something like that. But right now, the well, ins- to me, the incentives don't line up. Yeah. And we want Pixel and Tonic to succeed, yep. right? We want them to do well. I want them to to grow into a, a massive company. You know, I mean, I, I really do want them to succeed. Maybe not massive, but, you know. Well, you know, I mean, it, we uh, okay. Let's leave it at we want them to succeed. Okay, yeah, yeah. is that fair? Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> massively I mean, successful, you, but hopefully still accessible. Sure. Let's get Brad his private yacht that he can put his his own you know garden on top of the deck and all that kind of stuff. Let's let's, let's do that. Right. That's fine. But Jennifer, you mentioned semantics. And I think you're exactly right. It is semantics. So on the one case, we were saying, oh, you're paying for the product. I'm of the opinion that you've actually been paying for the support all along, right? It was just kind of a price tag was put on the product. But really what you're paying for is the support and the updates and and all that kind of good stuff. So it really is semantics that we're then moving it over and saying, oh, you know what? That thing, that product that you thought you were buying, you actually were buying support all all along. So we're going to move this over into the support category. And as Patrick said, make sure the incentives line up a little bit better. The, the thing that that gives you, though, is that we do then have a free open source project that does allay those concerns for companies that are worried about the hit by the bus kind of scenario. And it does provide some level of comfort to people who are just like, oh, okay, I can just download this and start using it. And then once I get good enough and my business gets good enough, well, then I'll happily buy onto a, a support plan. You know what I mean? So that it may help grow the developer base as well. So couch that way, Sebastian, do you have any any further thoughts on this or you still are kind of not too sure about it going mm. open source? I'm, I'm not too sure because uh, I've... I've only had to, you know, use the support like a handful of times. Right. And so if you suddenly said, again, like, you know, like Jen said, if it's semantics, but if someone said, now you're paying for support, I'd be like, well, actually, I don't want support. So yeah, may- maybe I would, because then then I guess I wouldn't have to buy it. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I don't mind, uh, I, you know, again, compared to the cost of the project, I don't mind. But if, if Pixel and Tonic, you know, come out and they have a business case for their company that this is you know, this is how they're going to reframe things from now on, then, you know, I'd be happy to follow along for their sake kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. Well, some, something else on support that Patrick mentioned is the community aspect, which is really strong with Craft as opposed to, I don't know, I guess, many other online communities. Um, I find it really mm. uh, helpful and non, non-toxic. Um, It'll get worse if it gets bigger. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm sure that sort of also alleviates support requests to their Pixel and Tonic team because oftentimes yeah. some of but them... I, but I, I think a lot of that, like I'm going to give them full credit, uh, especially Brandon, that I think a lot of that is just that leadership comes from the top. And I think Brandon has made it very clear that that is not the kind of community that it is going to be. So I will I will give them credit. Like I do think it's a it's a great group of people. But I also think that that Brandon has kind of established that this is the way that we're going to operate. 
in this community. And I think that has a big, uh, a big impact on it, you know. But Sebastian, one of the things that you mentioned is that you've run into situations where developers say, or sorry, not developers, clients say, I've never even heard of Craft. I know a lot of other friends of mine that use WordPress. I know a lot of developers that use WordPress. How do you win that argument mm, over? I would, it's hard because you don't want to, you don't want to criticize other developers too much but i guess i would try and get a sense of whether they're happy with the other developers they've used in the past and right. oftentimes they you know they're not it might not have anything to do with wordpress but you know <laughs> true <laughs> you i guess you can start from there and say look this this is the sort of the, the, the level of the quality that you get from craft developers is much higher and you can talk to them about the online community, the plugin devs, uh, all this stuff and maybe show them the craft partners page and, and say, look, there's, you know, this, it's not just one person shops. There's also, you know, medium to big agencies who are doing it. Uh, you won't, you know, you won't be left in the dark if, if I drop off the face of the earth. And yeah, I think. It's hard. I think if they're not, I think at that point, if they're not excited enough to go to craft, then maybe you need to sell the product again. If that makes sense, mm. because you, you kind of want them to be like, you know, oh my god, yeah, I, I don't want to use WordPress anymore. This looks amazing. Just you know, just one thing reassure me. You're not the only one doing it. And then you're like, no, no, of course not. Look, I, I think in this dynamic, it works better than sort of them adding that as a negative point to a list of negative things. I think if they're not one at that point, it's yeah, it's it's, it's tricky. Yeah. So I mean, another thing that I'm I'm actually surprised hasn't come up yet is we are as people. I mean, we are social animals, right? So one of a and, you know, as just as an example, people tend to be happier if they don't compare themselves to other people. Right. So they've done studies where your people are demonstrably more happy about the amount of money they make as long as they don't know that their ma neighbor makes twenty thousand dollars more a year. You know, mm. so we have this weird thing where we are kind of dependent on other people for our, our cues. And one of the things that I have found that has been really useful in selling people on using craft is if, especially if they've never heard of it. If you can say, oh, well, so for instance, uh, Moz.com uses craft CMS is a huge selling point for anyone who has any kind of a background in digital marketing. Yeah. Another one would be, uh, and this is you know, a client that uh, Jonathan and I have worked with is we say, oh, the Barefoot Contessa, her website and e-commerce site is running Craft CMS. Like if you can point at them at brands and people that they know that they think are highly successful, they may, they tend to think about it from the perspective of, oh, well, if, if they're using it, it actually, you know, maybe it is really good. If you run into that, uh, Jennifer, you think that's a valid way to approach it? Yes, definitely. It's, it turned out that I think ProPublica or Publica, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, was one selling point for a client because they wanted to basically model their website after them. So they oh, were, nice. they were really impressed by that. But yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's always helpful to have big brands or sort of websites that people use regularly, you know, be, be using this framework that you're trying to sell. It definitely can't hurt. And it, I mean, it almost, it almost always helps. Patrick, you run into this? You do? Is this a tactic that you use? I'm sorry, I'm on barefootcontessa.com and there's this baked Alaska there that just looks tremendous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, I, haven't, I haven't even eaten lunch. Don't do this to uh, me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've gone you know, between sites that I've done. One thing that always works well is just when people see that the, the site design looks different than your typical WordPress site, your typical Drupal site, whatever right. it might be. And they can see, you know, really start to understand the way that craft separates content from presentation. 
yeah, I feel like we need a better list of uh, kind of privately traded around uh, large profile clients that are running on craft. And of course, that changes over time. But yeah, it, absolutely. It, it definitely helps. Because it's it, there's a marketing guy that I listen to. And one of the things that he said, and I, I get it, like marketing guys can be insufferable. But <laughs> but this guy in particular is kind of uh, enjoyable. And one of the things that he says is uh, we kind of have this mentality of people like us use tools like this. You know what I mean? And there is kind of that mm-hmm. uh, equivalency in terms of like, you know, brands like us will use tools like this in order to uh, sell our brand. And if, if you are, you know, if like you're a, a local ballet studio or whatever, yeah, sure. I mean, use Squarespace or whatever. But if you're a brand that you really need to differentiate yourself and that, that extra 10% of customness or quality really makes a difference in terms of your competitiveness, then I think something like Craft CMS makes a heck of a lot of sense. And WordPress is kind of like a cookie cutter thing. And that's why they, at least in my opinion, that analogy of, you know, fast food versus a, a fine dining experience, you know, where if you say, I would like my my meal prepared this way, they'll do it for you. Yeah, that's a good point. I've actually used, I'm assuming, I don't know if the old happy cog blog is still around uh, since they merged with vector but uh, i used to point people to different high-end agencies blog posts where they talked about craft and explained why they were moving to it because then you can then take a step up from there and okay look happy cog did ben and jerry's they did all these other big brands this is the technology they're looking to what do you you know you're using wordpress what do you know that they don't like you know they, they these guys know what they're doing right yeah and and just that kind of you know this is what the and this this sounds terrible, but you know this is what the 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 commoners use. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, and and this is a tool that if you really if your your brand really is that valuable and and you are distinct, this is what you want. You want something custom because something custom helps you stand uh, stand out from everyone else, and it helps you express what makes you unique. Sebastian, you're going to say something. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I do wish there were more uh, high-profile sites that were, you know, that I that we knew were using Craft and that I could show, yeah. especially you know in the UK or in in France and Europe. It's funny. It's, hard, it's funny. Yeah. Like a, a lot of them are, and I have I have like a secret inside track in that when I see plugin sales coming, mm. um, I get the email address of whoever whatever craft id it's associated with right so okay if it's associated with a development agency then i have no idea you know what it is being used for but sometimes it's not and it can be kind of useful and uh, whenever i see a name that looks kind of interesting i go and check it out and i'm like oh that's really cool so like this is not a a high profile one at all but it was one that i kind of like so guidedogs.com for instance it's a craft site and it's really cool and it's about service animals and it's just really cute and it's got dogs and what's not to love you know and but you're right seeing things like that i think would be something really useful and you know we'll talk to leah about it maybe she can put something like that uh, together for us yeah there's a little bit um, of that on the on the support uh, page where they're talking about craft enterprise level support where you see nike mercedes hp a number of other uh yeah. there, if you dig around on craft there's this why craft your organization sonos moz pbs there's a good bit there that you know can help and obviously uh, uh yeah, people are going to say, well, which is the actual site? And you might not yeah. be able to point there. IDO is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. It does get easier. The more the more you develop, you know, sites with craft, 
because you tend to, I don't know about you, but you tend to get clients similar to the ones you've had before. So if you've done a website for a hedge fund, you might get another hedge fund and then you can, you know, you can make the case way easier because you're like, oh, look, your competitor, you know, they're using Craft as well. And yeah. So it gets easier. And I suppose as, as the community increases, it's going to get easier for everyone. But yeah, because again, you know, brands like us use tools like mm-hmm. this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like when when people do see that happening, like it's a it's a real thing. But uh, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Jen Bloomberg. And Sebastian, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. kidding the rafalcian is a pretty wild flower it's like it's a 22 pound flower and it smells like decaying flesh <laughs> it looks it i i grabbed a link to wikipedia and uh yeah i'm putting this one in the show notes yeah yeah <laughs> but uh that, that was <laughs> Jen, are you are you excited to go check it out now jennifer <laughs> Yeah. You want to wear one of those things as a corsage or something? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just love the the sort of um, creative openings that you have. They kind of remind me of, like, I don't know if anyone watches The Late Show with Steve.